Amen. You may be seated. Let's take God's word together and turn to the Old Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 2. And uh, we have been considering uh, for a number of weeks, in a few months, that little portion in the book of Hebrews that speaks about leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ and going on to perfection, not laying again the foundation. And if you lay the foundation right the first time, if the foundation is put down properly the first time, you will never have need to go back and lay it down again. But I am concerned that for many people who claim the name of Jesus Christ, they have never been given a proper foundation. And they're often building, perhaps on some good foundation, and some sinking sand. That's a bad combination. We began looking at some of those things that the author of Hebrews considered to be those first principles. And we talked about not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works or faith toward God, these foundational truths. And we began considering the doctrine of baptisms. We talked for a couple of weeks on the Spirit of God, not just physical baptism with water, but what it means to be a child of God and baptized. That's a promise that was given to the apostles. If you remember, the Lord Jesus said, John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now that makes God's people, some of God's people, at least those of us who are a bit more conservative in our worship and reverent in our styles of worship, it sometimes makes us nervous to even say that. But it's Bible. It's God's Word. The baptism with the Spirit of God is a necessity. And if you avoid it, then we are not handling and proclaiming the full counsel of God. There's a lot of discussion as to what, when the baptism of the Spirit takes place. I believe that when a child of God, when a person is born again, God's Spirit comes to live inside of them. There are many words and expressions that can be used to explain the working of God's Spirit. And sometimes we get caught up in semantics or, or expressions. There are many biblical terms. Baptism with the Holy Ghost. Baptized by the Holy Ghost. Filled with the Holy Ghost. There are many terminologies, many expressions that need to be studied and carefully studied. And they cannot be written off or pushed under a rug somewhere and excluded to a particular time frame or season. That's very dangerous. You and I need God's Spirit just as much today as the apostles did. We need Him. We cannot function. We cannot live the Christian life without the Spirit of God, without the control or the fullness of His Spirit. And we've allowed... We've allowed people, perhaps maybe who have put a wrong emphasis, we've allowed that to frighten us from making any emphasis. And that is wrong. We tend to find ourselves in one extreme or the other in many different fields and camps and subjects of studies. I want to encourage you today about this whole concept of being filled with God's Spirit, used empowered by God's Spirit. The empowering of God's Spirit makes all the difference in the world. It's the difference between a sermon that is just words and a sermon that changes lives. It's the difference between a Sunday school lesson that just entertains children for a few minutes and a Sunday school lesson that helps change the direction of children 
for the rest of their lives. It's the difference between doing your work because you get paid to do it and doing it for the glory of God. It's the difference between being a mother at home and just wanting to pull your hair out because every single day you do the same thing over and over again and recognizing by God's grace and by a precious gift from God, you've been given this privilege to raise these children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, recognizing your need for God's spirit to do it. You can't do anything properly without him. You cannot. God designed the Christian life so that it cannot be lived the way it should be lived without the Spirit of God. And so if you can go through your week without any consideration of God's Spirit, there's a problem. There's a real problem. If you can go through your day-to-day Christian routine and never consider the Spirit of God then my friend, you are living so far below what God has intended for you. And I believe that's why so many of our churches today are lacking. Because the one person that God sent to us to help us live this impossible life, we oftentimes ignore. The Spirit of God. We come to this portion in 2 Kings chapter 2. This is the story of Elijah going off of the scene. And Elisha, or Elisha, however you'd like to say his name, coming on to the scene. Really a remarkable story. I'm told that in the town of Jaffa, which is the old town of Joppa, if you read in the scriptures, that's where those famous oranges come from. Uh, you've heard of the Jaffa cakes, those orange, well, that comes from that particular location and the nation there, the area region of Israel. But in Jaffa, there are particular orange trees that are so sheltered that for some part of the year that you find perfectly ripe fruit hanging next to the new blossoms of this year. Last year's perfectly ripe fruit hanging next to the new blossom of this year. Some have made the observation that was what it was like when Elijah perfectly ripe at the height of his power, taken by Almighty God. Here comes Elisha. For a brief moment, they're together. And we learn something about the work of God and God's Spirit by considering these two men, especially Elisha, at the end of Elijah's earthly ministry. As one great man is replaced, you remember the story, Elijah asked Elisha in our text, look with it if you would please, In 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 9, it came to pass that when they had gone over, Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Now that's a well-known verse but probably one that many of us read and admire but don't look too much into because we're a little bit maybe concerned to make too much of a dogmatic stance on one thing or another. One thing is sure. Elijah had a measure of power from God that nobody else did. He was leaving. Elisha was coming on. And Elijah said, you tell me what one thing before I go can I do for you? And Elisha said, 
let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. I wonder if you stood before Elijah today. If you stood before Christ today and he said, what one thing? Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away. What would you say? What would you say? Solomon had this opportunity, didn't he? God said to Solomon, what, what, what one thing do you want? Well, Solomon was the wealthiest man to ever live. He must have asked for money. No, he did not. He asked for wisdom. God gave him more wisdom than any man had ever known on this planet apart from Jesus Christ. And Elisha is found in a similar position. He asks not for money. He asks for a double portion of whatever you have. That's what he said. I want what you have and more. I wonder today, what do you desire in life more than anything? Proverbs chapter 18 verse 1 says, Through desire, a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. Meaning when you get a desire, when especially when you're guided and directed by God, by His Spirit and through the Word, when you get a desire to live for God, to serve God, then, then Solomon says this, through desire, it is the desire that causes a man to separate himself from everybody else. You know, I'd be careful. Anytime somebody tries to put you in a box, be careful. Anytime somebody tries to, whether that box is a denominational box or a theological box, or be careful. Because when someone has a desire to begin to live for God, to do something for God, whether it be a young child or the or an older gentleman or older woman who wants to give the rest of their days to Christ before they leave this world, it will cause you to separate yourself. It will. That doesn't mean you go live in a cave by yourself somewhere. That's not what this is saying. But this is saying you are willing to be different. Elisha, no way would have ever received a double portion of Elijah's power and spirit if he had not been willing to say, I'm okay with being different from everybody else. He can't try to fit in with the crowd and also have a measure of God's blessing and anointing at the same time. He can't do that. You can't want to fit in with everybody else and be accepted by everybody else and tick the same boxes as everybody else. You can't do that and expect to be used by God uniquely. You can't. Because by default, if you're not willing to step away from that which is nominal and casual and normal, then you're never going to be any different. And you can ask for a double portion all you want to, but as long as you're still in this crowd, you're never going to have it. Desire. What do you desire? Nobody ever accomplished anything without desire. Now we find in our text, look at it with me, please. We know the end of the story. Elisha did indeed get a double portion of the same spirit that Elijah had. We know that because he did twice as many miracles. 
It's amazing. When you look at the life of Elijah, there is no greater prophet in the eyes of the Jewish people than Elijah. Do you know, even still today, the Jewish people revere Elijah. Even today, if there is a some sort of a festival or feast or a bar mitzvah or something like that, they'll always leave an empty seat just in case Elijah comes back. They really revere Elijah. But do you know Elisha had a double portion of what Elijah had? That's amazing to me. But it didn't come just because he rubbed a bottle and asked the genie to give him a double portion. Here's a man who was seeking after God. Seeking after what only God could give. This was not somebody who wanted to be a television evangelist who could get a bunch of money and a big following and a big crowd and a big pat on the back. This was somebody who earnestly desired to have God. And he knew that if God had chosen him for a work to be done, then he could not do it unless he had God and more of God, as it were, than even Elijah had. Now you say that sounds very, that, that's very presumptuous to ask such a thing. No, it's very humble. Because the man knew that he did, he was, he was not even half the man that Elijah was, so therefore he needed even more. So don't misunderstand Elisha's re- request. Elisha was not saying, I want more so I can be more and be better. No, he's saying, I need more. Because I'm nothing. I'm a no one. And the sooner you recognize those two things, that you cannot do anything for God, nothing useful at all. Your intellect will do nothing but get you into trouble if it's not surrendered to God. Your gifts and talents will do nothing but wreck and ruin you unless they're surrendered to God. Until you can recognize, Lord, I don't have anything. You remember that little parable? I think it's in Luke chapter 11. Jesus was teaching his people how to pray. I love this. Maybe you'd like to turn there with me, please. Three times he speaks about prayer. He gives the pattern of prayer. The disciples said, teach us to pray. And he said, when when ye pray, say, our Father which art in heaven. You know the story. You know the prayer. And then he gives a little parable. In Luke chapter 11 and verse number 5, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Now hear this parable. Sometimes we miss the middle of this parable. The rest of it says, he, he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And we know this little parable. And we know Jesus is teaching his people that they need to keep praying, keep asking, keep, keep knocking. But in the middle of that is a very valuable lesson. You will never keep praying. Are you listening? You'll never keep knocking. You'll never keep asking unless you recognize you have nothing, absolutely nothing to give and offer people. As long as you think you've got something to give people, you'll keep giving it to them, whether it's what they need or not. As long as you think you're something special, as long as you think you've got it all figured out, you will have no need to keep knocking on heaven's door, knocking at the, at the very throne room of God's grace and power. You have no need to do that as long as you think you've got it. Am I right? Do you know some of our closest, most intimate times with God have been the times when we've had nothing? 
maybe you know what I'm talking about. Some of the times that I've known the presence of God more fully, more tangibly than others have been those times when I had nothing. No money. I felt like I had no friends. Everything seemed to be going wrong around me. And why, why is it then? Because then I run to the presence of God because I know I have nothing. And here we find Elisha. His request is born out of a heart that has nothing. And if you want to know the power of God, some of you don't. And when you stand before the Lord one day, you will be so ashamed. When we get to heaven, I remember hearing Leonard Ravenhill say, when we get to heaven, we'll be so ashamed and we stand next to the saints of all the ages who trusted God for more and lived more closely to God and feared God more. We'll be so ashamed because we live like such paupers here below. You find in our text in 2 Kings chapter 2, there's a bit of a testing that went through, that Elisha went through in this little journey. Look at the first six verses. Life is full of tests and trials, isn't it? But these tests, I want to encourage you, are from God to prune you. Do you remember what we looked at last week in Jeremiah chapter 29? I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God's trying to bring us somewhere and sometimes he's got to bring us through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes he has to bring us through that, through that meadow of discouragement, the slough of despond. Sometimes the path to where God wants to bring us lies through, how about we sing it with amazing grace, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Sometimes, no, no, often, we face trials. And these trials are often sent to reveal our true motives and our desires. So a number of dis different tests found in our text. Look at it with me, please. The first test we find came to pass in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Here's your first test. The first test is a test of humility. You'll never know more of God's power as long as you're proud. Hear me. God will never give you more of his spirit, more of his power, more of his endowment. You will never know more of that unless you are humbled. Why would God give a proud man or woman a measure of power if he knows that person's going to use it upon themselves? First test is one of humility. Can you follow? Can you submit? Do you know how long Elisha followed Elijah? You know how long it was before Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind and then Elisha stepped up uh, to the plate, as it were, as the, as the senior prophet? You know how long it was? About eight to ten years. About eight to ten years, Elisha followed Elijah and simply served him. You want a measure of God's blessing? Then you must humble yourself. Learn. Follow. If you think you've arrived, you know it all, you understand it all, you think you are more theologically advanced than other people, my friend, you are stuck in a rut. 
And as Mr. Tozer once said, a rut is nothing more than a coffin with the ends kicked out. You're in a rut. There's nothing more disgusting in the eyes of God than that theological arrogance and pride, thinking you've got nothing else to learn and you're here to teach everybody else. What arrogance. Humble yourself. Learn. Andrew Murray wrote in his book on humility, water always fills the lowest places first. The lower, the emptier a man lies before God, the speedier and fuller will be the filling of divine glory. That's a beautiful thought. The lower and the emptier a man lies before God, then the quicker and the fuller will be the filling of God's power in that person's life. But as long as you're already full of self, there's no room for God. No room for His power. I meet people all the time, of course, in my line of ministry and work. I meet people all the time who think they've got it figured out from every theological camp imaginable. Everybody's got it figured out. Elisha had one thing figured out. He was to serve. I can remember when we first planted the church here in Oxford nearly 14 years ago, on the first Sunday service, I'm laughing because I'm remembering the occasion. There were 12 of us. On the first Sunday, Lord's Day, the opening service was on a Thursday night or something like that. And the first service was a Sunday morning, 12 of us there. A few students, my wife, Micah was a baby, and in come a man. And he said, before the meeting could start, he came to shake my hand. I want you to know that I could be your assistant pastor. I said, look around, mate. We hadn't had our first service yet. And he began to list off his list of qualifications. All that he'd studied and all the certificates and all he could do and all he had done and all his previous experience. You know that, that always, when, when someone does that, there's flags waving everywhere. Warning lights flashing everywhere. And people are so eager to step up and so unwilling to humble themselves and serve. If a man's not willing to serve, then he ought not be willing to step behind the pulpit. Not, not shouldn't be able, allowed to step behind the pulpit if he's not willing to serve. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 21, you find the little account uh, given of, of when Elisha was called by Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 19, look at it with me please. And um, in verse number 19, and so he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he with the 12th and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, go back again, for what have I, what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. He served him. He served him. Your first test is a test of humility. Service. After all, Every New Testament church office is an office of service. 
everyone. Minister is a servant. A deacon is a servant. Every office, servant. Are you too proud to serve? You got another test back in our passage. The test of humility. And go back to 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. You've got a test of discomfort. The Bible says it came to pass that the Lord would take Elijah up uh, into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal, and Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. From Gilgal to Bethel. Gilgal means holiness. Bethel means the promises of God. By the way, the promises of God, the blessings of God, only come as you pass through holiness. And your second test is one of discomfort. From Gilgal to Bethel was an eight-mile walk. And the last four miles are fierce. How far are you willing to go to know the blessing of God, the power of God? How far? What do you desire and what are you willing to chase after? How far are you willing to go or are you, do you give up so easily? Matthew 7 and verse number 14, you remember what the Lord Jesus said? Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life eternal and few there be that find it. It is not easy. It never will be. There might be seasons when you have a breather. There might be moments when you feel as if you're, you're knowing the joy of the Lord. You should know that frequently, but there might be moments of a relief from pressure. Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his pillow. Take up his cross and follow me. I don't know if it was Tozer or one of those men said, The problem with modern Christianity is that it is a crossless Christianity. We don't want anything that's uncomfortable. We don't want anything that's inconvenient. If it's inconvenient, we're not going to do it. If it's uncomfortable, we're not going to do it. If we don't feel like it, we're not going to do it. And therefore, we remain powerless and unable to make a difference in this world because we're not willing to be a little uncomfortable. What about you? John chapter 16, we read something very similar. Let me read it for you. In verse number two, Jesus said, they shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. He goes on in verse 33, he's warning his disciples. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. You're going to have tribulation. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul went back to the churches to confirm them, to encourage them? We read in Acts 14 that he came back in verse 22 confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, must, must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Well, we're living in a world and nobody wants tribulation. I don't want it either, but you can't separate that blessing of God from it. That's your second test. Can you... Pass the test of humility? Or does pride keep you from ever moving beyond where you are right now? Can you pass the test of discomfort? Or are you too comfortable in this world? Do you love your little comforts too much? Do you love your own little space and your own little things too much that you're not willing to give any of that up? Here's a third test. 
Look at verse 2. In verse 2, Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. Look at verse 4. Elijah turned unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And again in verse 6, Elijah turned unto him again and said, Tarry here, I pray thee. Tarry, I pray thee, here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. From Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan. And he said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. Here's your third test. It's a test of discernment. When you want to know the power and the presence and the blessing of God, there must be humility. There must be a willingness to follow him through the, through the valleys and through the darkness. And there also has to be discernment. Because Elisha's own master, as it were, Elijah the great prophet, told him to stay. But Elisha said, I don't care what you said, God told me to go. Then if you don't have that kind of discernment, the people you revere and honor and respect the most will say one thing, and it might even be something different than what God is telling you. I'm not talking about heresy, but I'm talking about guidance. And you've got to be willing to hear from God. You've got to be willing to get your direction from God. To know, thus saith the Lord, here's that voice behind me saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. And it doesn't matter who says otherwise, I'm following God. That requires discernment. Three times, God's prophet told him to stay. John chapter 12 and verse number 42, we find that one of the problems in the days of Jesus Christ, but that there were people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed he was the son of God. They admired him, but their problem was this. Listen, John 12, 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love, watch this, verse 43, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And if you're not careful, you'll be more worried about what the people who you respect think than what God thinks. And Elisha had a choice. Am I going to follow God? Who am I going to obey? If you want to know what it is to be, to know the power and blessing of God, then you've got to be willing to obey God. Remember what the apostle said in the book of Acts in the early chapters? We ought to obey God rather than man. We ought to obey God rather than man. There's another test. A fourth test. Have, can you pass the test of humility? Can you pass the test of discomfort? Can you pass the test of discernment? Here's your fourth one. A test of determination. Three times. Three times Elijah says, don't come, you stay here. Three times Elisha says, I will not leave you. I will not leave thee. I will not leave thee. And then we find something interesting in verse number three. Look at our text in two Kings. And the sons of the prophets. You know what they were? They were Bible college students. That's what they were. There was a school of prophets. They'd study the things of God, 
under the leading prophets of the day. And here are the sons of the prophets, Bible college students. Here they are. They were at Bethel. And they came forth to meet Elisha, and they said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? Hey, you know God's going to take him away today. We're sons of the prophets, by the way. We know what's happening. You do know that God's taking Elijah out of here today, don't you? Three times they said it to him. Again in verse number five, and the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And then on top of that, in verse number seven, 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to watch. So here's all these educated theologians. And here's what they say to Elisha, who's already been willing to step out from among them. I'm not saying those were good men. I'm not saying they were bad men. But he was willing to be different from the average everybody else. He stepped away. If you remember, he separated himself. Proverbs 18, verse number 1. And in so doing, they all said that you do know what's going to happen, don't you? And Elisha was so determined to obey God and to get what God had for him that he did not care what all the sons of the prophets had to say. What about you? You do know he's leaving. Why don't you just give up? God always tests our desires before granting his promises and blessings. Now, let's look at it. What did he get? What was the gift? Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. What one thing do you want? Can I just say this? Elisha already knew what he wanted. Do you? Think about this. Elisha didn't have to say, well, hold on, I'm going to pray about that a moment, okay? He didn't say to Elijah, give me, I want a week. I'm going to pray and fast about this. That's a, that's a big question. What one thing do I want? Oh, give me a week. I'm going to pray and fast about the one thing. No, he already knew because his whole life was pointing and directing and pleading and pushing towards that one thing. That's the only reason he was there. He already knew what he wanted. Do you give me a double portion of thy spirit? Elisha was full of a passion for holiness. His soul was a living flame of pure desire for true godliness, true power from above. Power to live a holy life. And guess what? He got it. He got it. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When your desire becomes like that, Nothing else matters but living a holy life before God, wanting to be truly godly, wanting to be truly connected and walking intimately with God. When nothing else matters, you will get it. Now, most of us have never seen or never heard of such a gift ever being given. Why? Because most people don't want it. Most people don't want it. There's a real lack of spiritual vision, spiritual desire amongst God's people. We're comfortable here. We're comfortable in the Western world. Everything's okay at home and everything's okay in the bank account. We're comfortable. And you and I today have every opportunity to have the same gift. 
We may not be just like Elisha. We may not be splitting waters with the raiment. We may not be raising up dead people, but we still have every, every possibility to have a double portion, to have a fullness of God's spirit and of God's power. May not be manifested in the same way that the miracles were through Elisha, but God's spirit has been offered unto all of us, especially as New Testament Christians. He lives inside of us. He lives inside of us. But our problem is we'd rather have comfort, self-indulgence, fame and recognition. If I can get safely to heaven, in the end, that's all I really want. That's what most people think. But is that what God wants? In verse number 7, I said it a moment ago, but in verse number 7, 50 men, watch this, catch this last thing and I'll close. 50 men stood, the Bible says, to view afar off. Is that you? Watching from a distance? Never getting close enough? Never really wanting to be any closer? Content to be with the majority? Content to be with the crowd where it's more comfortable viewing for a distant, from a distance? No personal thirst for blessing for yourself. Not Elisha. Elisha said, I don't care what you do and I'm going. I don't care what you say, I'm going. The vision Elisha had, the desire Elisha had changed his entire life and he got it. And a limp longing for blessing will never do. And if you can get it by yourself, it's no good. Evan Roberts said just before the outpouring of God's spirit during the Welsh revival, he said, I have built the altar, laid the wood in order, prepared the sacrifice, and there's nothing more to be done than to wait for the fire to fall. Most of us are waiting for fire to fall and the altar hasn't been built. The wood has not been laid in order. A sacrifice has not been prepared. This desire has got to become the one ruling passion of your life so that you will follow Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth if he wants you to, so that you will sell everything and follow him if he wants you to. And then God will meet you. It is the men of one desire who learn what it is to know the blessing and power of God. If we got a bunch of different desires, I want to do this. And after a while, I want to do this. And oh, can't forget, I got this on my calendar. And I really want it. No, no, no. One desire. What do you want more than anything? Would you bow your head with me in prayer, please? Father, we confess that we often live torn like a double-minded man. And therefore, we become unstable in all of our ways. One moment, we desire the empowering and blessing from above. True holiness, true godliness. And on the other hand, we enjoy the pleasures of this world for a season. We pray that something may change in even a handful today. Even just a few who would say they are no longer satisfied with what this world has to offer. And there be one desire, the one desire of their heart, to seek after, struggle after, fight after, to walk more intimately and closely with thee.
Lord, let it be so. Give us such a desire, Lord. We pray, as the psalmist said, we would delight ourselves also in the Lord. And then we shall be given the desires of our heart. In Jesus Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.